podcast. podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Ruth. And I'm Tina. And this is Talk and Smash. The podcast where we wear scarves and talk about Smash. And this week, we are talking about episode 108, The Coup. And this episode originally aired March 26, 2012. It was directed by Paris Barkley, who's directed uh, an episode of every show of all time. He actually won an NAACP award for directing this episode. (laughs) I I don't know. My face right now is a question mark saying, why? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't begrudge Paris Barkley any award. But I'm not quite sure if, if this episode. It must have been a real. It must have been a real bad year for. Yeah. Representation. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, he is a former Directors Guild of America president, and he directed uh, a movie I used to watch all the time. Uh, Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. And the uh, writer for this episode was our old pal Teresa Rebic creator of the show and this is the first episode to air after we found out Teresa Rebic got fired <laughs> really yes oh, so that's in between last episode and this episode the news broke that uh, Smash got picked up for a second season and Teresa Rebic is out so this was it this is when she got fired yep, this okay um, and the NBC.com synopsis for the coup is Ivy remains in the dark about her fate while Derek recruits Karen to help. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so I really like this episode in a lot of ways. I hate this episode. Oh, but we'll have a lot <laughs> to talk about. I hate Katie. We'll talk a lot about Katie, I'm yes. sure. But there's a lot that I like. And, like, I hate the musical number, but I think I'm supposed to. So <laughs> I can't wait to find out what you like. <laughs> uh but before we get into that, um, what a lovely scarf you have over to yes, the side. Yes, I am not wearing it because I found it. It's my belly dancing scarf. We'll let it jingle. It's yes. real pretty. Yes. And what scarf are you wearing? I'm wearing a purple scarf. It's like a, little, a pashmina style. It's like a pashmina style scarf. Yes. Yeah. It's not as pretty as yours and it doesn't make noise. Well, that is that is a pro for a podcasting scarf. But as you pointed out, it does match my socks. It does, and it's vibrant. Woohoo! And this this was well, Teresa Rebic went out on a bang in terms of yeah. scarf count. Yeah, I got nine. Oh my goodness, I got I got eleven scarves. Okay. Plus, um, Julia was wearing a blouse that had a very scarf like component. Oh. Plus. There were three to four scarves just draped across Karen's apartment, which I did not count in my yeah. official scarf count because I'm like, I can't tell how many there are. Exactly. Yes, so. I did. And I did notice uh, there being background scarves as well. <laughs> All right. So this was my breakdown. I got uh, one for Katie, uh, two for Karen, uh, two for Derek, one for Ivy, one for Ellis, two for Julia. I I didn't like tally them up that way, so I'll just like run through them really quickly. Sure. I think I might have gotten more Katie scarves than you. And I know she like the one that she whips out to show her. Oh, I didn't count that either. No, 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 not her. Okay. Wall hanging. Okay. Um, no, no, no. The one she's wearing. I assume she like she's showing all her trophies, <laughs> and she 
Um, but she wears that scarf. She was like Lord Elgin, times. just going to <laughs> just oh. going to Southeast Asia and picking up some stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> but she's doing good in the world. Oh my god! So much oh. to talk about. But so I'll, I'll just I'll tick through mine really quickly. So Karen and Derek. Um, are both wearing uh, scarves in their first scene. She's got like this gauzy tie-dye scarf yeah. and he's wearing his gray silk scarf, mm-hmm. which he also wore to talk to Karen in chemistry, no, chemistry? Chemistry. In a different episode. Um, then Derek and Karen meet again and they both have scarves again. Yes. And he has a burgundy scarf and she has this brown scarf with like black print on it. Yeah. And okay. then Ivy has a striped scarf mm-hmm. and Alice has a striped scarf yes. when Alice stalks Ivy. And then... When Alice and Ivy are in cahoots and, oh, and we go to the big, you know, warehouse in Brooklyn, <laughs> which we'll get to, Ivy is wearing a knit, white knit scarf and Katie is wearing a black and white scarf. Oh, okay. Yes. And Julia has her scarf-like blouse, which I didn't count. But then the next day when they, uh, they're having the meeting in Eileen's office, Julia is wearing a striped knit scarf then. Lots of stripes this week. Yes. Um... And then Katie has this dotted scarf on when she's decorated Eileen's apartment. And I also think, yeah, and she's wearing that one earlier. Yeah, when that's, that scarf. She's showing her spoils. Yeah. And Julia, did you get the purple scarf? Oh, yes. That's her she's... adultery prevention scarf, which <laughs> she, she brought out again. Michael Swift. Yes. Yes, because, yeah. But she was very wise to wear her, put on her adultery mm-hmm. prevention scarf when she went so to see smart. Michael. Yeah. So many scarves. So okay. Many. So let's talk about, like, the first couple scenes. I'm very interested to hear what you hate, too. I'm sure <laughs> we're going to hate some of the same things. But overall, I like this. So, um, so we keep um, doing, like, quick cuts to check in and all of our different people. Mm-hmm. So... We see Ivy and Sam taking a tap class together, and she hasn't heard anything yet about the about the workshop. Then we go to Julia's place, and Julia is in bed, and she hasn't heard anything. And Frank tries to cheer her up, and we 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 get to hear <laughs> great singer Brian Darcy James sit, like pretend to be a bad singer. I know this made me so mad. In the original run, this made me so mad and it still makes me mad and you know i knew was i knew we were leading up to it and it's like no 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 and ah it's a waste yeah and then we see ellis visit eileen in her empty apartment also trying to get some news from her Mm -hmm. and then someone knocks on the door and guess who it is it's a gummer sister um playing eileen's daughter katie mahatma katie who i'm sure we're going to talk about and then uh we see derek and Karen, you know, together in a cafe, and Derek is talking to her. And before that, Derek and Eileen um, have a meeting together where they want to write. Don't they sit down? Don't we see? Like, no. no. They just, Eileen is talking to Derek on the phone. Oh, okay. Oh, for Ellis to okay. eavesdrop on. Sure, 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 sure. Yes. Okay, so Derek and Eileen want to pursue a secret Marilyn project, and they enlist Karen to be there. Yeah. yeah, so we kind of do like this quick little check-in on all of your major characters, except Tom, uh, before we even get to the opening credits mm-hmm. to kind of see where everyone is after in the aftermath of the workshop. I will say, like, I, I so relate to Julia in terms of just being in bed with, in your pajamas with your bathrobe on <laughs> under the covers. Yes, with a snack. Yes, except the snack was grapes, and, like, I feel it should have been ice cream or 
something a little less healthy than grapes, but maybe that's how Julia rolls. So yeah. Oh my God. I feel like, is this the only time that Frank does his guitar hero bad singing? I don't know. Because this this stood out in my memory as such a landmark of the show of something that made me so mad. And in reality, it was like five seconds. Yeah. And maybe... So maybe those five seconds just really made an impact on me. But like, oh, to make Brian Darcy James sing all corny and bad yeah. like that, that was... It's a really good song, too. Like, I love Three Little Birds. Like, I genuinely love that song, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, so it was... It it's was, funny, it like, a couple I weeks ago... I was embarrassed for both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, a couple weeks ago, I feel like they were trying to make him a viable competitor... Competitor's not the right, right word, but... They were trying to sort of sex him up. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, they were trying to, like, make him a sexy man, and then they did this, and I'm, yeah. oh, this, this was not sexy. But so, Leo liked it. Yeah, well, I think it made Leo happy that, like, oh, look, everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's singing Bob Marley. My dad's okay with me smoking pot. <laughs> did you see, Leo was sitting on a t-shirt or something, and I don't know, I, I rewound it so I could write down what was written on it, because it... It caught my eye. He was sitting on something that's that read, "The pains of being pure at heart." The word purity <laughs> comes up in this episode a surprising yeah. number of times, or the concept of purity. Yeah. I noticed he had some sort of like artsy yeah. T-shirt or something with a saying on it. So I just wanted to flag that. Yes. Stick a pin in that. Yes. Oh, and I just wanted to flag um, Eileen saying to Ellis, "You're such a useful young man," um, because I. I I really do think that this is Eileen kind of taking the piss out of Ellis a little bit and without him noticing in terms yeah. of like, I see what you're doing, you little yes. creeper, but uh, you're you're very effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of Leo, lawyer John is continuing to help Leo with his court case, which now has been downgraded to walking on reseeded grass. Yes. And Disobeying is- park signs. A plot still. Yes, but we wrap it up this episode, which is terrific. Yes. So yes, what we find out Karen and Derek are talking about is Derek has, and Eileen, but primarily Derek, have a plan to stage an alternate musical number for Marilyn the Musical to see if they could take it in a different direction with a different composer. Who is Ryan Tedder from One Republic. And I, is was this a famous person in 2012? I think so. I'm going by context clues that, because Karen was a big fan. Yeah. And he's heard Karen's demo. Yes. Oh, of course. It's being passed around town. (laughs) Yes. Ellis reports back to Tom, Mm -hmm. whatever he found out at Eileen's apartment. So I think... I think Ellis suggested it, but that Tom sent sent Ellis to Eileen's apartment at yeah. Ellis's suggestion. He is a he's a double agent. He is a double agent, and I know we've talked about him being Eve Harrington, but I think maybe an even better um, and now a reference point for Ellis is uh, Heather Graham's character in Bowfinger. Oh, Daisy. Yeah. Oh, totally. I was thinking about that character. You know, whenever Ellis is like, I don't want to be a this. I want to be a that. Yeah. I'm dating the most powerful lesbian in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like Ellis so much now. Yeah, I know. He's like my favorite character. I know. He's my favorite. Yeah. 
well, yeah, I, I really enjoy Ellis so much, and I continue to enjoy Julia reacting to Ellis. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in Buffy, like, when Giles, whenever Giles would have to interact with Xander, and he'd just be like, ugh. It's the contempt. Yes, the contempt. <laughs> I love the contempt that Julia has for Ellis. And Ellis is going to grow up to be the most powerful bisexual man in Hollywood, so she should watch out. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get a truly embarrassing musical number that I don't want to dignify. <laughs> we'll talk. So, yes, we see Karen rehearsing the terrible number. And we'll, t- we'll talk about it later when we see the full-scale terrible number. Oh, I'm not even talking about that one. I'm talking about bowling. Oh, oh, Ivy and bowling. Yes. You know what? I, I feel like I hated that the first time around. Well, because, all right, so Ivy and all the kids from the ensemble... Um, have gotten together to go bowling, and but Sam no one is there. Karen because they hate her. Yes. Well, I think part of the, you know, part of the reason for um, the bowling outing is they wanting to get Ivy out of the house and yeah. cheer her up. But which is very what I like is very sweet in terms of in one way it's very sweet like all the ensemble is re embracing Ivy and bringing her yeah. back in, and they're checking in on her. That is nice. Like Jessica and Dennis are calling her. Yeah. And Sam's like, you know, going to tap class with her. But on the other hand, like, she's she's right back where she was before. Yeah. But they take her to bowling and it turns into an impromptu <sighs> musical number. And I I'm with you. I thoroughly disliked this the first time around. But you know, now I love it. You do. I love it. I, I've definitely been hard on some of the, like, you know, real life musical numbers, like when Karen sings to herself in the mirror mm-hmm. or when Ivy sang to herself in the mirror. I do not like those. But this, I feel like it was it was definitely treading that magical realism kind of line. But the fact is, these are all singer dancers. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can buy into the fact that when they're out hanging out together, singing and dancing naturally arise. And also that they're showing off for each other, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Okay. And and then, like, I just found, I was just so happy to see all of them. I was so happy to see Bobby and um, the whole gang. Bobby and Sue and Jessica. And just everybody was there, except Karen, because... Yeah. Um, so I really enjoy, I, you know, I, this time around, it really, it really fills me with joy to see Aww. all of them, you know, singing and dancing together. And it definitely crossed over the line into like, this would not really happen. You would not really dance down the bowling alley without someone coming and saying, telling you to stop that. But I liked it. I did. Well, and I'm I think it made you happy. Yes. And also I think it's the happiest we've seen Ivy. Since she sang true. Crazy Dreams when mm-hmm. she got the part. Oh. And we have another, you know, kind of parallel to when she got the part later in the episode. Mm-hmm. But so, yes, I understand hating this. And maybe on another day I would hate it too. But today I love it. It's funny. When I was reading articles for Smash Lash, <laughs> one reviewer wrote, Wow, that guy who plays Sam sure has some nice pipes. <laughs> And he that sure does. Tony yes. Award winner, Leslie Odom Jr. <laughs> <laughs> they could have just looked ahead a th- few years. and mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, but I do like the lines, I hate the theater. I hate the theater. I love the theater. Yes, and that's another reason I liked it too. 
And I liked another line that Bobby said in terms of, I can't read my writing. I agree with your anger to Ivy or something like yes. that. Yes. Bobby is very good yeah. in this episode, as always. Because yes. Wesley Taylor is a damn delight. Yes. But I and I loved I loved Bobby's bowling too before like we get into a full fledged musical number. Yeah. And he's like preening and then he bowls and it goes into the gutter and then he's just like preen some more. He's and it's fantastic. great. It's great. But yeah, but you know, we've wrapped up the whole Leo pot smoking storyline, bing, bam, boom. That's a great little family moment for Leo and Frank and Julia. And it, it does, I, I realize that a lot of this was creating a moment for Julia to say, I'm grateful for my family. Yes. Yes. And I loved the cranky judge. And yes. I love how he, you know, groused about ungrateful, privileged kids. Yes. That was fun. That was super fun. Yes. Um, and also, Tom, I think partially as a thank you for that, Tom cooked for his boyfriend, Lawyer John. Tom <sighs> was nice to his boyfriend, Lawyer John, this week. Uh, yeah. And that was great. And they got to have some smoochies, and that was nice. And Karen and Dev had some very nice smoochies yeah. this week that, like, you know, no one had to feel uncomfortable about. And that was great. So I enjoyed those. And I will say, I do not need Dev to have a plot line of his own ever. No, I am not interested in his political career. I don't need another love triangle. I, because the first one feels forced anyway. Um, so there's like a whole thing with Dev and RJ, his journalist friend, and, you know, intrigue down at the mayor's office. And that douchebag that Karen met at the dinner mm-hmm. got the job that Dev wanted or, or, is, or is, th- is somehow the like front runner. Yes. For the job. So, OK, so somehow that guy was based in D.C., moved here for a job in New York, but doesn't have that job yet, Ugh. is still somehow competing with Dev for that job. Yeah. Be that as it may. And, um, and they found out that he sent dick pics to... A minor. A minor. And at first they thought she was college age, but then they realized that it was a minor. And they all got really excited because, wow, this will really help Dev. And yeah. I just felt like that was a not the appropriate response. I know. They're all like giggling and teeheeing of like, oh, wow, this will take this guy down. Um, not Karen, because she doesn't know anything, but Dev and like these journalists that he's, you know, yeah. scheming with. And, and RJ's hacker friends. <laughs> yeah. But I know they're all just like all the Twitter about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one's like spares a thought for like, oh, geez, this 30 something guy sent dick pics to a teenager. And yeah, that's troubling. Should we get law enforcement involved? Like, no, and also <laughs> none of them even want to publish it in their damn papers. They just want to give Dev this... Uh... Yeah, they just want to, like, help Dev get somebody f- fired. Yeah. If there's not a thought for the girl. No. The well, child. There's not a thought for the child. <laughs> there's not a thought for their own careers. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we're we're good to just not talk about that anymore. Yep. Um um, and Karen cooks for Dev at some point, yes. and that's nice. Yes. She's good at singing and cooking mm-hmm. and looking pretty. <laughs> and we see Jerry. Jerry comes back. Yeah. Because, ugh. Oh. Okay, let, let's just get all the Katie, mm, let's get some of the Katie talking over okay. with. So, um, Eileen and Jerry's daughter, Katie, has come back into town, and she's played by one of the Grace Gummer. Grace Gummer. 
Um, they all look so alike. They all look all yes. They just look like tiny versions of Meryl Streep. Yes. Who is their mother? But anyway, so Katie is there, and she's coming back to town from... Oh, shoot. India? Well, she has no, things. No, she mentions she's... India, and she mentions Micronesia. Yes. So she's come back from travels. She goes... Yeah. She's... Yeah. This, you know what? <laughs> you know, this is very much another down at La Mama situation mm-hmm. in terms of... Remember, everyone kept talking about Michael Swift, and he's doing that Bruno Mars thing, down at La Mama, and Michael Swift, Michael Swift, ooh. And, you know, everyone in this episode talks about Katie and how good she is, what a good person Katie is. And again, it's just, oh, they're really shoving this down our throats mm-hmm. that Katie is good. And she goes to poor countries and buys things. Yes. So that is the extent of her, you know, <laughs> her background. <laughs> Katie is not a well-fleshed-out character. No, she. it seems like she engages in, and I don't know if, if this was a term back then in the, the yesteryears of 2012. But she's, it sounds like a, a, a voluntourist where she like decides she wants to go someplace and does like And she a like little, hands out free t-shirts. And she, yeah, she does yeah. like a little bit of volunteering. Yeah. And then she buys like some bowls. Yes. But I don't think like, I think we are meant to just accept that she is this paragon of goodness. I don't think the show is presenting her as a character like who, like, hmm, Let's stop and think about her. Oh, yeah, and, no, no, no. Yeah. She's not... I know, This is not but, a conversation starter. They yeah, I know. They did not anticipate us noticing this. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, I, but she... At no point do we see or even hear an example of something good she's done. We just see her... We just see... She, she we just, just see bought a lot of scarves. she bought. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, my God. This line comes later, but I, I just... You know, I as long as we're talking about Katie, I'll bring it up now. Like, she she says to her mom later on in the episode, "That's what made me want to flee to Micronesia," and that is just the most trust fund kid line I've ever Seriously. heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, she can only do this because she's filthy, filthy rich. Yes. So Katie comes back into town because her father has deposited three million dollars in her trust fund, and that that's how she knew something was wrong. Something was going wrong with the divorce between her mother and father. And we get to see Jerry. Jerry's back. Mm-hmm. I love, I like Jerry more than you like Jerry, but oh, I think. Yeah. I just think, I just, I don't, I just didn't think the scene was interesting. It wasn't that interesting. No, but Jerry, Jerry shaved his goatee. So I was interested to see that. Yeah. And you know, um, so Katie is trying to mediate between her, her two parents, or basically just tell her dad to stop being such a shithead, really. Yeah. Like, and give mom money, too. Give mom money, too, dad. Because it's not like she gives her mother any of her $3 million. She just... <laughs> well, presumably she's unable to touch it, oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Is because it's... In this... It's a trust fund. Yeah. But... Um... <laughs> wherever she was, wherever she was helping poor people, um, she totally got a call from her broker. <laughs> No, Jerry sent her some papers to sign oh, in India or something. Sure. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. But I did like um Jerry brought up the Dega in terms of, you know, you know, she stole my Dega. And I was that was a nice little thing that I thought they'd bring that back. Mm-hmm. This is the Dega that Eileen gave to the Jonas brother. Yes. Um, in exchange for whatever three hundred thousand dollars for mm-hmm. the workshop. Um I have to say, I don't know 
what that 300000 got spent on. Because... But that's neither here nor there. I'm sure things are things are expensive. Well, never mind. That rehearsal studio with the gorgeous windows. Yeah. yeah. And they, they did have to pay, as as Bobby points out, yes, they all the actors made next to nothing. But they still had to get paid somewhat. We might have to do, like, smash math and figure out about how long were they working on the workshop and how many people were in the ensemble and what. We should do some smash math. That sounds fun. Yeah. We have a whiteboard right in front of us. <laughs> Perfect for smash math. But I do not think the actors got paid. You know, I mean, I think what the actors was probably, that was probably a drop in the bucket of the overall cost. But mm-hmm. I mean, were Julia and Tom and Derek paid much money for this? I don't think so. I can't imagine they would be working I don't know. But I imagine they would have some sort of deal in terms of getting, who knows? I don't know how this works. Yes. You're right. So, but, and, you know, and Jerry actually is the only person to question Mahatma Katie. That's her nickname, Mahatma Katie. Um, to question Mahatma Katie in any way because um, she's saying, you're not being very nice. And he says, giving you $3 million is not very nice. <laughs> and... I enjoyed that. Yes. So we did not get peak Jerry this week, but he gave us a little something. And this was a little directorial moment, or it's probably in the script too, but that I liked in terms of we just see Ellis's silhouette through the frosted glass door mm-hmm. when Katie and Jerry and Eileen are having this uh, fraught conversation at Eileen's office. <laughs> we, we do get a lot of Ellis eavesdropping. Ellis is really, like, on fire this he week. He really is. He is getting things done. He is a man on a mission. Well, speaking of Ellis, so he has gleaned that Derek is... Derek and Eileen are putting together this musical number and that Karen's involved in it. Ellis pulls Ivy in to try to get more information. Mm-hmm. And this is nice in terms of we get uh, an update on... We actually... On, on Derek and Ivy's relationship status, which is they are formally on a break. Yes. So, because last week we didn't know what the hell was going on with them. Mm-hmm. But I think they've been on a break since, since her steroid-fueled meltdown <laughs> in rehearsal. But of course, Ellis can't just tell Ivy. He also has to sort of throw Tom under the bus and say, oh, I'm surprised Tom didn't tell you. Yeah. He's well, working cause, everybody here. Well, because Ellis is pretending to bump into Ivy. At ballet class. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just saying, like, hey... I have some dirt. Will you help me get more dirt? Which yeah. I'm sure Ivy would be Probably. down for. But so then, I, we don't see this, but I, I think we can intuit that Ivy sends Bobby to talk to Karen to try to get some more dirt from Karen about and, what the heck this musical number is. And Karen's just so excited because one of the cool kids called her. Yeah. And she spills and she gives him everything. Yeah. Oh, and then we see Ellis with with Sin. Yeah. Sin comes back. Ellis is in a, in his apartment, just reflecting. Yeah. On things, he's wonderful in this. This 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 is definitely up there. You know, I really enjoyed this scene in terms of Ellis just kind of like sitting back and being like, "Yeah, Tom. Just... Tom's a loser. Yeah." <laughs> and look at Ivy. She did all this work, and now no one will even take her phone calls. Yeah. Producing. That those that's where the power is. I'm gonna be a producer. It's, it's I great. love that scene. It's great. Yeah. And it's 
you know, very Bowfinger-esque in terms of, I'm going to sleep with the actor. I'm going to sleep with the writer. I'm going to sleep with the director. (laughs) So then, you know, Eileen and Katie go to Eileen's new neighborhood bar and see Handsome Nick. And Mm -hmm. yeah, Katie's like, ah, I see. But uh, that doesn't really go anywhere this episode. So I guess they just wanted us to see the handsome man again. Yeah. Which, fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Then, you know, we have Dev and uh, Dev and his reporters at the apartment. We talked about that. Yeah. And okay. it's boring. <laughs> yes. So, so now let's talk about... <gasps> let's talk about it! Let's talk about the big Brooklyn number. Is that like this warehouse space, this cool warehouse space in Brooklyn with, yeah. like, scaffolding and... Uh, <laughs> it's very industrial. It, yeah. And there's, like... And it was so ha- handy that they had that cage bed just lying around. Oh, it's great. Okay. So, so this is the number that Derek has been working on with Karen that, and Ryan, Ryan Tedder, is that his name? That we'll go with is that. what I wrote down. Yes. So, and they worked on it all day yesterday, and now they're revealing it to Tom and Julia and- Eileen. Uh, and Eileen and- and- Katie and Katie, who's invited to this, uh-huh. and Ivy and Ellis are hiding. Yes, Ivy and Ellis have like followed them or just snuck, you know, snuck through and are hiding and are watching I in the really back. I really would have liked it if they had just really gone for it and put them in like spy clothes. Oh like, my all god, black like a fedora. Like, yeah, that would have been great. But they did do some scurrying and some like they you did. know sneaking behind cars, and that was great. I think this is where they discovered like Eileen and I mean Ellis and Ivy are a good pair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, and Derek, you know, before before the big number, Derek is talking to Karen and he spouts some, you know, classic Derek nonsense about don't be afraid of the sex. And uh, Marilyn had purity and then she had sex on top of it. And, you know, just Derek nonsense that yeah. we've just come to expect from, I don't from Derek. Derek understands Marilyn Monroe at all. I just don't get that sense that he has like a a vision for her that connects well, with anything. Yeah. Well, when De- <laughs> well, this is something that Derek and Dev have in common <laughs> in just terms of like spouting nonsense about yes. Marilyn Monroe. I'd like to see him with Tom later. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But so so this is the big reveal of the big industrial techno whatever yeah it's for the big one republic show down at la mama <laughs> down at la mama <laughs> this is derek's like vision for a future direction of the show that we have seen so far that has baseball numbers and you know all that so we get ivy singing the song like this touch me put your hands on my body but it's just like a, a throbbing club yes beat. lots of throbbing club beats and um and we've got like male dancers wearing these um featureless masks, masks. Yeah. and i hate those masks so much they're so creepy yeah um catherine mcphee is wearing a bed sheet that is also a dress and she looks fantastic she does look fantastic and um so there's this scene like this very techno you know that like there's we've got this very techno like song happening and Karen singing, you know, into her, like, Gwen Stefani mic. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
Yeah, and then she's on a bed that has wheels, and like the faceless male dancers are are spinning the bed around. And then Karen's face starts to look very troubled, even though the music is still the same and the lyrics are still the same in terms of touch me, put your hands on me, something about Marlon Brando, take pictures of me, whatever. But as the song goes on, Karen's face keeps getting more and more troubled. And at first I thought she was doing bad acting, but then we realize that this is Derek's vision, Mm -hmm. his direction for the number you know, even though the music is staying the same, like the music and then the staging are in opposition to each other. And, you know, the, all of a sudden there's all these flashbulbs going off in uh, Karen's face and she doesn't like it. And then um, they put uh, bars up along the side of the bed. And now the bed is a cage and paparazzi mm-hmm. and scene. <laughs> Tom and Julia are furious. (laughs) The best thing, so the number is some nonsense, and I think we're supposed to, you know, take it as nonsense. The best thing, though, was watching Julia's face watching this number, and that was something. And I think, and we see see everyone watching it from different points, Um, and nobody likes it. Uh, But, you know, Julia and Tom... Really hate it. Ivy is watching it, like, you know, tucked in the corner with Alice, and I think she just walks out in terms of, like, well, if this is what this show is, I don't think I want to be part of it, okay? So then the song is done. The song made me think of being also, like, in middle school, and, like, (laughs) you know, I feel it's like a song that would play, like, while you were shopping for, while you are in the dressing room at, like, Mandy Clothing Store. (laughs) Do you remember Mandy's? I don't think they exist anymore. But, uh... It was clothes for teens and tweens, but, um, so then there's something aggressive mall sexy. It was aggressive mall sexy. That is the genre of that song. Yeah. So then the lights come up and everyone's mad and Katie, Mahatma Katie, outraged. She's so infuriated with this. She storms out of the room. Mother, I need to speak to you now. Yes. And well, you know, and I think this was weird. And I think the only reason we had Katie in here was so she could pull her mother out and give her this talking to, which was so strange. Yeah. In terms of Katie seemed to have some sort of moral objections about the number or about her mother, like, doing her job and exploring other options for this project that she's working on. So my objections to it were purely aesthetic. Yes. But anyway, Katie is super mad that her mom hurt Tom and Julia's feelings. Yes. And she's like, that's like something dad would do. Um, So Eileen comes back in and just starts apologizing to everyone. She starts, she apologizes to Derek. Yeah. Who was in on this. Yes. Who was was Derek's conspirator. Yes. I don't. Oh, and Karen apologizes to Tom and Julia, which... That was just such a classic Karen. Karen is the first person to apologize. And that was just such a classic Karen thing to me in terms of, Karen, you you didn't do anything to anybody. You're giving yourself way too much importance. You were were a singer who was hired for one day. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think Karen often gives herself too much importance. But she's so nice that she, you know, decided she was important and then apologized for her. She does do wounded baby bird. Well, yeah, she does not like Joe DiMaggio. No. 
So everyone's yelling at each other, and Ryan and Tedder's like, sorry, guys, I didn't know that you didn't know. And disappears. Yeah. Um, and then Ellis pops out. <laughs> he reveals himself and is like... <laughs> It's like, days. Cool, you're gang. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put a meeting on the books for tomorrow. So cooler heads can prevail. Eileen, I'm calling you a car. Ellis, out of here. <laughs> so then Eileen's car arrives and she says to Ellis, get in. And we see them ride off together. Um, and then Julia leaves and mm-hmm. it's just Tom and Derek left. And... This scene is one of the reasons that I really liked this episode. I think this is this is an important scene and it's earned. Yes. We've been building we've been building towards why is Tom so angry at Derek? Why is Derek such an asshole specifically to Tom? Like what you know I think that's what I liked about this episode in terms of there was a lot of earned conflict mm-hmm. between people. And in terms of, yes, so Tom and, and also this is, Tom gets to be really his own man in this episode. In, in terms of a lot of the times in previous episodes, he's he has his own story a little bit. He gets to go on a date, but he, he's primarily a prop in Julia's story. Uh-huh. And in this episode... Tom really gets to be, you know, a pro, you know, have multiple scenes unrelated to Julia. Yes. He gets to have a fun, sexy dinner with his boyfriend who he mm-hmm. sort of likes. <laughs> Maybe he'll even let John know that he's his boyfriend. <laughs> yes. And then we get the but we get this really powerful scene between Derek and Tom where um they, you know, we get so we get really strong acting from both of these mm-hmm. great actors and we're, you know, finally like the, the festering wounds like that they've, that have been alluded to up until now finally get uncovered in terms of they have this whole confrontation about the, pl- the project that they did together 11 years ago and what went wrong then. And, and the reviews were favorable to the direction, but Tom took a lot of criticism and, Tom's version is that Derek went around and just trashed him all over town and made fun of him and, and his reputation took a hit. And, and then we get this reveal. We get, we this get big, some, a, a we get a couple reveals about Derek. Yeah. Yeah. That, so uh, one is that Derek's dad apparently is, I think this is the first time there's been a mention of this, that Derek's dad is also a theater person. Yes, because um, Tom, you know, quotes Derek from back then in terms of how the reviewer favored the direction Mm -hmm. and trashed the actual material of the play and how Derek said to him, that's what you get when when they've known you since birth. Uh Uh-huh. So... So we don't know if Derek's dad is uh, also a director or is a producer or a famous Broadway actor. We don't... But... Yes, but we we learn for the yeah. first time that like basically Derek has grown up in this world yeah. and is kind of a a, a privileged child yes. of this world, and this helps to start explain his apartment. So it sure does. Yes, and, and um, the, the Tom says punch. like mm-hmm. yeah that 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 critic wasn't in your pocket because of you. That critic was in your pocket because he was sleeping with your father. And Derek takes umbrage at that and he says some homophobic things 
and are punches thrown? No. I They get close, but they okay. don't. But I really and Tom like... does call Derek a homophobe. Yes. But, um, yeah, so I loved this scene. I, yeah, it's a good scene. Yeah. And, I, you know, I thought... And they both got to kind of have equal weight in it in mm-hmm. terms of they both held their ground and... Yeah, I thought it was really good. And then they argue about this, you know, what, you know, the project that they're working on now in terms of Derek saying, you know, Marilyn isn't just this sweet, wounded little waif that you're making her to be. And she's also this, like, this drug-addicted, suicidal, like, sexual icon such as the world has never seen. Um, but, and and they end with, like, I'm not, qui- I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit either. So... I yeah, so I really love the scene for I think both it's, of them. I think yeah, I think it's a good scene. I think that some mention of Derek's dad should have happened by now, just in terms of him being a legacy. In and the also, world. spoiler: this is something that we never return to. Yeah. In terms of, I guess this was something that Teresa Rebic had in her in her head. Yeah. That. Uh, did not materialize when she uh-huh. uh, left the building, but because there's like I just feel like there's information that comes too late about mm-hmm. the characters. The, this thing with De- uh, Derek's dad, it's like what happened last week with Ivy's mom. Like, why are you telling us seven, eight episodes in that these characters have the most famous parent? Yeah, it's. It just seems like and information we should have by now, especially when um, Dev uh, it's makes fun of Derek for sounding low class because of his O's. Yeah. Yes, it's something, and it, it's something that you think Tom would have said, you know, before this point, in some sort of snide aside to Julia about Derek and like, oh, he's like a rich boy, or you know he's only he's only successful because his daddy bought it for him or whatever mm-hmm. but we don't hear maybe well maybe it's just because tom was just so wounded by this uh fallout that he had with derek all these years ago that he couldn't bring it up i don't mm-hmm. know but and we get this really like poignant line of tom saying at one point we were friends yeah that got me yeah yeah so so I really like the scene and like I feel like yes like all of the it was earned all of it like that well the dad thing sort of came out of the blue but other than that like y- you know what they had been playing up until this point like mm-hmm. completely resonated with like what came out of them. Yeah. This yeah this argument is yes. completely earned. I just think that the dad thing kind of yeah came out of left field. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also cuz Derek it would have been organic for Derek to even say something last week when he was comforting Ivy, be like, yeah, I know what it's like to have a, an icon for a parent, well, you know, or something. And this is just headcanon on my part, because obviously we don't know. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the text and it never comes up again. <laughs> but I feel like maybe Derek's father was some sort of like producer, some sort of like wealthy producer fellow maybe. in the West End. And Broadway. So that maybe he wasn't a famous, like a, a, a marquee Broadway. famous person, like who, who, like a famous director or a famous actor who yeah. would be like, but just like a behind the scenes famous sure. person, like famous within the industry. Could be. We'll never know. We will never know. So 
that scene is one I loved. And then we go, the next scene is the next day at Eileen's office. Mm -hmm. We have our four... Our four people, Eileen. And Julia's indoor sunglasses. I know. Julia I was excited to see them back because now I'm okay with them. Yeah. Because, yes, they, Cause they are. Were not re- they were Michael Swift unrelated. Yes. They're well, her I had a rough day sunglasses. They are her I had a rough day sunglasses. <laughs> um, and so they gather in Eileen's office to talk about next steps. And Eileen is like, well, what we learned from yesterday is that the composer and lyricist and writer we have now are just great. And I don't think that's really what we learned from yesterday, no. but that's fine. No. And so we're going to stick with, you know, the team we have in terms of the creative team. And now what we need to get this moving is a star, oh. which means no Ivy. Yeah, yeah. But in order to jumpstart this project and keep it alive, they need a star. And she's going to call Bernie to, you know, start putting out feelers. And this was a cute little Easter egg, I thought, because she's referring to Bernard Telsey of, Mm -hmm. you know, Bernard Telsey Casting, who's also the casting director for Smash. Aww. So. And Tom delivers the news personally. Well, before that, they're leaving the office, and there's Ellis sitting at the desk. Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And Tom is like, Ellis? Do you work here now? And Ellis says, yes, I do. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been swell. (laughs) And it's great. And you know what? We haven't talked a lot about Ellis's aesthetic clothing-wise. I like it. I love it. It's aesthetic, and it's it's nice to have a look. Yes. It's a lot of... um, Sweater vests. Sweater vests and cardigans. Yes. Yes. With, like, uh, plaidy, plaid, like... Button-down mm-hmm. shirts and a tie. It's a it's a snappy little look. It is a snappy little look. Yeah, and like to have some to have someone pull off a cardigan is he pulls off a cardigan, so props to him. I mean, he's very fit. We saw he him is. in yeah. his boudoir mm-hmm. with his his lady, mm-hmm. and he was not wearing very many clothes. At yeah, all. and he looked very fit. He goes to the gym. So, um, so Tom delivers the news to Ivy and it's heartbreaking and they're both sad. This is another reason I love this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I love this episode because it's backstage at the Broadway theater for Tom and Julia's hit show, Heaven on Earth. And this is the same place where Tom gave her the news that she got the part. And now we're back in that same place again. And Tom is giving her the news that she's not getting the part. Oh. And I I love this scene. I love I love both of their performances in yeah. it. And I also love that Tom the character like uh doesn't make the scene about him at all. Yes. He never says any of, you know, any one of those like horrible things in terms of like I hate to have to tell you this. Oh, it makes me so sad that I have to do this. He just tells it to her and we know how much it's hurting him and but he he just makes it all about like i you know yeah supporting her and just telling her as ripping off the band-aid as kindly and swiftly as he can then ivy goes home to cry and sing to herself but it's not creepy this time because she's just singing a little bit of let me be your star yes sadly yeah, and, and because she's 
emotionally vulnerable. Derek. And one another like little bit of that that I don't know if it was directorial or just, you know, production or whatever, but she's she's holding this red vel this giant red velvet pillow oh. against her body. Like, you know, and it's just like it's like she's literally become an open wound. Oh my gosh. And then now that she's sad, Derek knocks on the door and Derek comes in and they get back together. Yeah. But I will say the fact, and Derek does say nice things to her here. He doesn't say anything terribly passive aggressive or mean. You know, he says, you know, you're gifted, you're beautiful, you were you know, she wants he wants sex from her. He 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 doesn't say those things when they matter. You know, he he in public he he tears her down and he's so horrible to her. Like he showed up. He, this is not the first time that he's shown up when Ivy is vulnerable and gotten sex from her. I That's, hate Derek. Yeah. Well. I don't like Derek, but the fact that he wants to be with Ivy makes me like him a little more. I, you know, and so the fact that he's there and that he wants to be with her, even though she's just going to be in the chorus now and she's not the star, makes me like him a little more. Um, but like for Ivy, I'm like, oh, no, Ivy, don't do it. No. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think he's good for her, but Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, well, and before that, Eileen goes back to her, her, her apartment, which was empty, and now Katie, wonderful Katie. Katie's redecorated. Yes, so that trust fund does come in handy from time oh, to time sure now, does. doesn't it, Katie? I'd like to, uh, step in here with some smash lash, because our pal, Hillary Busis from Entertainment Weekly, really sums up this scene well. At least she fills her mom's enormous empty apartment with a bunch of imperialism-themed furniture from anthropology before she leaves. <laughs> but yes, sure, she got that entire giant apartment, you know, fully decorated in like 12 hours or something from like the time that Eileen left in the morning to the time that she comes back at night. And it's like, surprise! And her mom's like, oh, Katie, you're so good. <laughs> but, it's beautiful. But that's and, money. And Katie says... That's how I see you, Mom. Uh, yeah, no, it's just it's just a display of wealth. Yeah, there's no these items aren't personal. Uh -huh. They're just well, and it's just wealth to be able to get shit delivered. You know, like same day. I mean, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and now Katie is gonna go off to count some wild salmon with some friends of hers. Yeah. But yes, I love it. Like Katie is just uh. A generic do-gooder. She yeah. has no special skills no. of any kind that uh, we're told about. But she's just going to go hang out with some really cool people who are trying to save some salmon. And, uh, and off she goes. Yep. Goodbye, Katie. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you bet she manages to cause more harm than good and uh -huh. the people who actually like know what they're doing there well you know to... what i bet she takes a private jet to alaska to like catch up with the salmon. <laughs> <laughs> to catch up with the salmon counting people oh uh yeah so 
But yeah, so what I liked about this scene, this episode is we got some really like raw emotional scenes for for our main characters, for Tom, for Derek, for Ivy. And that that pleases me. And we had and I liked the bully number this time around. I really did. That it gave me joy. It sparked joy. And and it's funny, like the bowling, you know, the bowling number reminded me of Ivy singing "Crazy Dreams, Crazy Dreams Come True" mm-hmm. with her friends yeah. back when she got the part, and then to have her have that kind of, um, you know, conviviality with her friends again uh, in this episode where she loses the part is. Oh. There are good nice. moments in this yeah. episode. There, it's just, it's an episode I never would have rewatched mm-hmm. if it wasn't for this show. Well, there's no, like, in terms of, there's no grand musical theater moment in it. Yeah. That's for damn sure. But and I just wish, why don't they focus more on the business of show? We don't need Eileen's daughter as a character. No, we don't need Dev to have storylines, no. as we've said. Leo doesn't need storylines. Mm-hmm. We just... What happens next? What happens? You've you've staged a workshop, and now you're figuring out what happens. I that's the episode I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have wanted to see what what's his name, the producer fellow with the glasses. Oh yeah, uh, yes, we like him. Yes, to have him come back and like yeah. be talking about numbers and yeah, maybe business. he gives Eileen some cold hard truths. Yeah, like I would have liked more dialogue between. That's why, like, I imagined that Derek and Eileen must have sat down. We must have seen them sit down together to talk about collaborating with Karen on something. But no, we don't even get that scene. It's just Derek references that he wants, that Eileen and him want Karen (laughs) to do a super secret One Republic number. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, yeah, I liked it. But I I liked that we got... um, that we got some quality time with our core characters. Mm-hmm. And also that, like, you know, the the Julia and Michael, you know, the Julia and Michael Swift of it all was very brief this episode. And that was great in yeah. terms of she stops by to see him and tell him, like, by the way, you're fired. And uh, he's like, yeah, good. And, you know, we also have that moment then of Julia kind of being like, oh, oh, you're you're happy I broke up with you. Yeah, that's fine. Where she, you see on her face a little bit, she's not happy that he is not pining yeah. for her. He's like, I even brought my family to our breakup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Tina. Yes. What would Tarana Burke say about this episode? Well, I believe that Tarana Burke would say, quote, inherently, having privilege isn't bad, but it's how you use it. And you have to use it in service of other people. End quote. And not the salmon. Well, if you want to serve salmon, fine, serve salmon, but don't be a salmon dilettante. <laughs> yes, serve it well. You know, get a degree in conservation <laughs> or, or an apprentice and, and do it for real. Don't just go because you heard some of your friends need some unskilled labor to help them count salmon yeah like fund fund something yeah like give money to poor people yeah like she has three million oh 
Yes, or develop a skill. Develop a skill. <laughs> Any skill. I, you know, um, learn nursing, become a lawyer and work pro bono. Be useful. Be freaking useful. Or, yes. you know, give money away. Or, or heck, fund your mother's musical. Like, <laughs> um, and yes, I hear you that, like, she doesn't necessarily have access to this, but someone's funding. She got all that stuff to Eileen's apartment somehow. Yeah, and yeah. A, a plane ticket to India is not cheap. No. And- so, yeah, she doesn't seem to have any uh, impediments, monetary impediments from going hither and yon across the world. Yeah. That's why I had to escape to Micronesia. Oh, uh, yeah. So, farewell, Katie. Let us talk about nominees. Yes. For least problematic man of the week. So, wait, can we do under five of the week first okay i i really love my under five of the week person though so you're gonna have to fight me hard i i i we, we, we probably have the same, the same one person. yeah let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. the judge, judge davenport <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh a judge crotchety davenport. old man he oh, was great i loved him a crotchety old man with a new york accent he was the best so i want to make sure i say his name it's david lipman you're delightful. Oh, he was the best. And he's he's got one. He's I'm sure he's been in a bajillion things and like every Law & Order that ever existed. He has been on Law & Order. He's been on Law & Order series that I I haven't even heard of. He was on Law & Order Trial by Jury. Oh, that was As, a short-lived one yeah. season. B.B. Newworth was on that. Oh. B.B. Newworth, musical theater. But yeah, he That's, has a, a four-decade career. Yeah. Maybe Newworth is someone who would be delightful to drop by Smash. Yes, she would. Yeah. Huh. Oh. Well, and who can say? Here's hoping. Here's hoping. I, you know, honestly, there's episodes I don't remember of the I show. Don't, I don't <laughs> so. recall season two very clearly at all, mm-hmm. so it could happen. So, all right. So Judge Davenport. You are our under five of the week. Good job, David Lipman. Good acting. Okay. And now, least problematic man of the week. Tina, what are your nominations? Well, there's a case to be made that Judge Davenport. <laughs> he is on my list. <laughs> Excellent. And then frequent nominee, Lawyer John, because he is just nothing but a great boyfriend to Tom, a good friend to Julia. An excellent lawyer? Yes, and he gets very little by way of acknowledgement. Well, Tom does cook him dinner. He cooks him dinner, but... And voluntarily touches him, so... <laughs> I guess the sex got better. I guess it did. Okay. So, okay. So Judge Davenport, Lawyer John, anyone else on your list? You know, Sam is a good friend to yes. Ivy, as always. Yes. So Sam was also on my list. And uh, just to keep things interesting, I threw Ellis on there, too, because I'm like, Ellis is, uh, you know, Ellis is just, you know, Ellis is just getting things done this week. No, okay. I mean, I... He's being a little duplicitous, but, you know, Mm -hmm. he's just a, he's just a fella trying to, trying to succeed in business. I mean, I think trying to throw a wedge in Ivy and Tom's friendship disqualifies him. I don't mind the spying. But like throwing, you know, making Ivy suspicious of 
of Tom is not okay. Mm -hmm. Because there's just going to be stuff that Tom can't tell Ivy. What about Tom as least problematic man? Tom stood his ground with Derek and was very open finally about like what their beef was. He sure was. And I did think about him. I'm just troubled by the fact that a week ago, Tom said lawyer John was not his boyfriend. But I just need acknowledgement. I need Tom to say, you, Lawyer John, are my boyfriend, and I value you. And until that moment... He cooked a whole meal for Lawyer John. <sighs> multiple, multiple courses of a meal, I believe. We only saw him, like, tasting one thing. But there were lots of pots and, and things. So he, he stood up to Derek and, like, confronted Derek. He cooked for his boyfriend. And he... But does it count as cooking for his boyfriend if he doesn't see him as his boyfriend? Because I'm positive Lawyer John sees Tom Maybe as his boyfriend. this is how Tom says, you are my boyfriend, by cooking oh, him a meal. The ceremonial cooking of dinner? Yes. Hmm, possibly. Yeah. And he was a good friend to Ivy this week and didn't make her disappointment about him. Remember, it's least problematic male, not episode where an individual character is at their least problematic. Well, maybe we, maybe we need to more clearly define. <laughs> <laughs> it's of the week. Of the, the week. week. Least problematic man of the week. Mm. You know, I'm okay giving it to Judge Davenport. Let's give it to Judge Davenport. Yeah. David Lipman. You get two awards this week. Good job. <laughs> Congratulations. You really were delightful in this episode. Yes. And it's good it's it's good to tell privileged white kids that they're privileged. Yes. We should do that more often. Yeah. Even when their moms world. yell at you if you do it. Yeah. I you know, although I would have liked him if if he like if he threw Julian in jail for contempt of court. I would have enjoyed that as well. I like to think that he um, got to give her a crotchety, snarky comeback that we just did not get to yeah. see. Did we smash it? I think we just need to give our Twitter handles, oh, and then we've smashed it. All right, neat. Okay, so the show is at Talkin' Smash. Remember, no G in Talkin'. You can follow me at Nice White Lady with underscores under Nice and White. And you can follow me at Yellow Fairy 19 with an underscore between Yellow and Fairy. And now, we've smashed it. We've smashed it. And